This episode is brought to you by our incredible community of listener supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon offers listeners exclusive archival content, extended episodes, and access to community conversations diving deeper with past guests. Your monthly pledge ensures that For the Wild has the funding to keep producing informative, thoughtful, and rooted conversations and programming. All funding supports our small team of creatives, podcast production, and special For the Wild projects like our zines and slow study courses. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash for the wild, or if you would rather make a one-time donation or recurring donation outside of Patreon, please visit for the wild.world slash donate. To listen to the extended version of this episode, support us on patreon.com slash for the wild. Hello and welcome to For the Wild podcast. I'm Ayana Young. Today, we are speaking with Trisha Hersey. What I do is I lean on the past. I lean on my ancestors. Like I talk about that in the book so much. I lean on, on the ideas of what they were doing and how they were able to be a, in the system, but not of it. How they were able to still find joy and pleasure and have family and still come up with inventive plans to escape. Trisha Hersey is a Chicago native with over 20 years of experience as a multidisciplinary artist, writer, theologian, and community organizer. She is the founder of the Knapp Ministry, an organization that examines rest as a form of resistance and reparations by curating spaces for the community to rest via community rest activations, immersive workshops, performance art installations, and social media. Her research interests include Black liberation theology, womanism, somatics, and cultural trauma. She is the author of the upcoming book, Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto, which will be published in October 11 of 2022. You can learn more about her work and pre-order the book at thenapministry.com. We were kind of just in a really good riff about... Mm -hmm where we're at in the world, what's happened since the pandemic. And it's interesting because our first interview was originally released in June 2020. And wow. holy moly, the world has witnessed a wow. deluge of resignations and general burnouts within jobs, within life. And yet it does not seem that we have come close to reckoning with this reality and no. instead of actually taking a break many people have been forced into new forms of exhaustion and exploitation as the companies that continue to exploit just have gotten richer and richer kind of unbelievably richer yes. so your new book comes really at a vital time for us here because i do still think that we can turn the tides. So I'd love to just, you know, start with hearing a bit about your book, what motivated you to write this right now and what you hope the world might gain from it. Yeah. Ah, that's such a good question. It's a deep question because I've been thinking about that. I thought about that from the moment I knew that I would be writing a book. I knew I didn't want it to be, maybe I can talk about what it isn't. I didn't want it to be some quick fix tip advice guide that you pick up and think you're going to be done 
I knew I wanted it to be a manifesto because I love manifestos. I love the history of a manifesto. I've studied them since I was younger. I love history and archives. And I really knew that I wanted this piece, this book to really be an attempt to bring a new reality to, in, into existence. And I wanted it to challenge and provoke. I wanted the form to feel like an incantation over people's heads, over their bodies as they read it. I wanted it to be a field guide and a collaborator on this lifelong pilgrimage we're going to be on to be able to start unraveling ourselves from the grips of grind culture and white supremacy. It, it had to be something that asked a question. What do you believe? What can you imagine? What can be? like? So I knew I wanted it, the form to be something that felt like me, you know, felt like my background as a growing up as the daughter of a Black preacher, a Black Pentecostal militant preacher, wanted someone who has studied homiletics, you know, the science of creating a sermon and who's a poet. So it's poetry in there. It's full of stories about my family. It has a little bit of memoir. Um, it's really um, trance work. I will uplift it as feeling like trance work because there is a lot of repetition. I've always named the work um, of the NAP ministry as being a deprogramming tool. Like the what, reason we exist is to be a tool to begin to help you to deprogram from um, the brainwashing that grind culture has given to us since birth. So I've been naming it as a brainwashing since the beginning of this whole work. And so I knew I wanted it to be something that could counteract with that, that could be a counter narrative to the brainwashing that we have been under our entire lives, the brainwashing of social media. I wanted it to feel like something that could begin to work um, in the underground, work in, 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 and come at people from a different way. So I want people to lay down while they're reading it and to feel that it is something that is demanding the impossible. And so any manifesto worth reading demands the impossible. And I just wanted this to be like this on the ground field guide. Like, so while we're all on the ground in our trying to like dismantle and come against these systems, like it can be something that is a support, um, something you can stuff in your bag or have under your pillow, something that you can open up and it'd be a guide to help you um, as we all begin to like go in deep around the idea of resting, saving our lives, of resting, being a resistance to all the um, systems that want us working all the time. That was a really beautiful uh, explanation. I really saw the book and maybe I want to go into the numbness a bit Yeah, and really explore what rest is and what rest isn't because I think uh -huh. people are even confused about that. Oh yeah. And <laughs> I think actually this design, uh, this strategic design to keep us weak and it also wants to keep us unmotivated towards mm -hmm. that wholeness. And, you know, you work so hard that you can't take care of yourself or your community right. or the earth. Right. And, I guess also I'm thinking about this word lazy, which I've heard you speak oh. about. Well, I guess I'm interested in how laziness and work are a part right. of the capitalist design. <laughs> and within this, how is the rest you offer yeah. different from what we're told we earn through capitalism, like yeah. sitting and scrolling through Instagram or Netflix? Because there's this, I think there's this idea of, oh, you're so exhausted. You're going to get home. And you know what? You're just going to 
put on mm-hmm. the internet or the TV and finally you get to quote rest or lay, you know, but I'm like, is that rest? And right. when you look at our ancestors, they were very strong people. And I am concerned about the way we are offered rest, which I don't actually think is the regenerative rest that you're speaking about. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's another reason. I'm going to keep going back to the book. When you talk about why I wrote the book, one of the main reasons why I wrote the book is so that I could dispel some of the stuff that people were thinking, because I will be on IG, you know, social media is this beautiful technology most people think it is. They think it's this beautiful, I don't believe this. They think it's this beautiful technology that brings us together and connects us. And while it does have the opportunity to do that, and we've been able to remix it and be inventive around using it to connect with people all over the world, that's not why it was created. It was created simply to keep you scrolling, buying, consuming, and online distracted. That's really what it was for. It's, It's another extension of capitalism. And so I wanted to take away the idea of what people were consuming online about rest. They would be like, oh, the net ministry, this is about resting. I'm going to lay down or this is about resting so that I can be more productive to do more for the system. I can do more at work. If I rest today, I'll do. And I was like so much, many things because of the way social media is created. It doesn't allow for deep nuanced conversation. And so this book needed to be a part of the literary canon. It needed to be a part of the, um, of, of the world so that people can have something that they can hold on to, to be able to get the facts, to be able to start to begin to read a sentence and be like, oh my goodness, that's what she meant by that. You know, I really wanted to help people to deepen and slow down and to really get offline. So I'm so glad this book is written so that people can put down their phones and sit and lay down and turn the page and read chapters where I'm like, this is what rest is. This is what rest isn't. So I'm very particular about that. There's a whole section where I talk about what rest is and what it isn't. And rest is not what any of us think it is. Because remember, we've all been trained and taught under the curriculum of white supremacy and capitalism, grind culture. Grind culture has taught us everything that we know about what resting is, about our labor, about what our bodies are, about who we are. And so because of that, you, we can't trust that. We can't trust the information. We can't trust the professor of capitalism, the prof- you know, the person's teaching the class on the white, on that curriculum can no longer be trusted. And we have to not be, keep spewing its ideals. We have to totally ignore it, totally um, dismantle from it and, and deprogram from it and begin to slowly bring ourselves to what's really true. We've been bamboozled most of our lives understanding what it is so people don't know what rest is they think productivity is something that it's not and so to me resting is anything that slows you down enough so that your mind and body can connect so we start thinking about the somatics of our body and our mind when you think about what it means to be exhausted to be sleep deprived when we look at the neurology of what's happening in our brains when we're um, sleep deprived we're not um, moving and thinking and connected in a way that's at the full potential of what our brains can do. Our brains are being, um, in a lot of ways, traumatized by our sleep deprivation. And because of that, our bodies are also deeply traumatized by it. But then also spiritually, we're disconnected from the divine dwelling place that we have. Our bodies are an antenna for, for the creator. 
for divine ideas, for knowledge. Our bodies hold so much information for us. They are the teachers. And so when we aren't connected to them, when we, when we aren't slowed down enough to begin to slowly do the connecting process, our brains and body needs to kind of catch up with each other, to support each other, to um, soothe each other and hold each other up, we continue to be zombies and numbed out. And so when I think about resting, I think about anything that can slow you down. It can be, you know, not returning a phone call immediately, listening to music, dancing, walking, you know, crocheting, meditation. I mean, it's infinite. So I could be on this thing for four hours just with a list. It's infinite. But when we can begin to listen to our bodies, to say, what does my body want? Why, why do I keep ignoring my body? My body wants rest. My body wants to slow down. My body wants to wander. It wants to linger. And instead I say, no, you can't have that. I'm going to push through. I'm going to burn a midnight oil. I'll sleep when I'm dead. That feels lazy if I do that. And so this idea of laziness, I do not use the word laziness. I don't use the word lazy at all. I believe that any person specifically, I want to talk about Black people. Black people use the word lazy so much. And I'm like, you know that that's what, you know, our ancestors were hearing while they were on plantations working 20 hours a day. So you don't come from a legacy of laziness. You don't come from a legacy of um, not working. I mean, you should not be calling yourself lazy because that's simply language that the oppressor has taught you language of the oppressor. It goes back to our deprogramming and decolonizing from all the lies we've been told. And so this idea of laziness, I think, I wish it could be like totally eradicated from my vocabulary and from my, um, our, our imagination. Like there's no such thing as lazy in a capitalist world. Who could be lazy here when the world goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, pushing output, pushing production, pushing this tool for us to continue to make the empire richer to make the empire more wealthy and so there is no room there is no one who is lazy in a capitalist system there is no human body that I believe that is also lazy and so I reject the word lazy and I want people to begin to place that word in the system that they live in and so a lot of people don't realize that they're living in a system that doesn't even see them as a human being that you're aligning with a system that merely sees you as nothing but a tool and a machine and so that grief the grief of that of knowing that that's what someone feels about you the manipulation of knowing that that's what you're you've been born into it, it we we can't go on without resting we're not going to be able to make it without resting we're not going to be able to make it without connecting with our bodies and with the earth and with each other we simply aren't it's just like not possible and so I feel like I, I keep hollering from a bullhorn like we're not gonna make it <laughs> if we don't stop and, and sometimes I feel like are, can people hear me who's hearing me you know who's this message touching who is it for who's available to grab it because we're in such a crisis that um sometimes it feels um like what can I believe, you know, what is, what can be really sweeping change for us to be able to, to move past this. And I believe and know that resting um, will be one of the many tools that we use. I'm thinking back to one of our unrecorded conversations. And mm -hmm. I know that we both have a lot of concern for folks to even get to a place where they can make the decision 
to say, yes, I'm going to commit to this meticulous practice and it's going to be long term because Mm -hmm. so many of us have been really wrapped up in the programming, in the duping. And so we're busy and we're burnt out and we're numb and we're not even reading emails and we're not even mm-hmm. focusing anymore mm-hmm. because right. it's the um, the programming and also the addiction to capitalism has been so reinforced. Like you were mentioning earlier in this conversation mm-hmm. about how challenging it is for people to even believe that they are worthy or because I think capitalism has become so quick and witty and um, look really intelligent on working off our psychology. So we may say, oh, we want to break away. And then something says, but you want to buy this. And so like, okay, well, well then yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? We do want to buy that. We buy that. And I'm like, okay, now we're fulfilled, but you're not. And so there's like, the capitalism really, really understands our psychology. There's entire um, theories on disaster capitalism, where capitalism mm-hmm. will come in when we're at our lowest, yes. like a substance, and yep. take us and really, really uh, enmesh us in our addiction and what we think of is our need to keep within the system, to keep working, to keep grinding. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm going back to this place of like, okay, we're talking to each other when we haven't yet committed for so many reasons to Mm -hmm. this meticulous love practice and it's obviously by design why it's hard for us to commit and we could have hours where we're just discussing that but it brings me to this quote that you wrote and it says quote the earth the plants the animals are who we should be collaborating with right now because humans are not tapped in right now trust spirit Mm-hmm. That's quote. that's hot off the presses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's hot off the presses. That's mm-hmm. what I'm feeling right now at this moment. Like, and when I say this moment, I mean like the season that we are in. You know, it's not thinking about time in a linear way, but it's like, yeah, I feel like we have to tap into spirit, and I think a really um, way to do that right now is to connect with the earth, is to connect with plant medicine, is to connect with um animals and other spirit beings and um the sun and the sky and like our breathing like we are not tapped in we are so pulled away like capitalism and white supremacy and grind it has us so deeply wrapped up I mean it's I feel like I've noticed it worse now that we are in this pandemic and we're almost three years in like I've been tracking this I've just been watching like people are more and more this cognitive dissonance people feel more numb they feel very like exhausted you can almost read it and feel it on people like my son is 15 years old and we were talking about it someone was driving and they literally just were like driving so crazy and like almost hit us and he was like I've noticed that people just seem disconnected I was like do you have you noticed that he was like yeah I've noticed that since the pandemic like how it feels like people are not here and i and i'm one under understanding what the, what a covid mind and a covid body what's left behind after we're trying to like heal ourselves and stay alive when there's this um thing out here that could make you really sick and just dis- or disable or kill you and so 
I'm like, what has that done to us mentally? What has that done to us spiritually that another person feels seems dangerous? You know, the idea of being around another person and them breathing on you at the beginning it was dangerous. It was a dangerous thing to think of a body. A body is dangerous. It's spreading this and we have to isolate. We're in quarantine. We're away from each other. I think there's been a moment of deep, deep collective trauma and what that trauma has done to the brain. The studies tell us that trauma absolutely affects the brain. I mean, those have been done for years. And so I'm wondering what a COVID brain is like, what a, a what what will be left behind, what's left after, what's the residue effects of us attempting to survive a global pandemic of, of this happening across the board. What is, we're, we're still in the middle of it. You know, the pandemic is not over. People are still getting sick with it. And I'm wondering what it's gonna look like five years, 10 years, when we begin to, continue to see like the mental health crisis that comes up from this and the the deepening of our numbing, the deepening of capitalism and how people are truly not tapped in. I always say that to people, rest is a portal, go there often, go tap in, you know, tap into your body, tap into spirit, tap into your ancestors, tap into what you can't in any way, shape or form tap into when you're in an awake state. Because your awake state is this numbed out, consumed state where you're just watching and seeing and scrolling and just consuming all day and night. But what, what, if, what would it feel like and what could it be when you go into this dream space, when you can go and work things out in this other portal, in this third space? And I believe that resting is another dimension. It is a third space. It is a portal for us to go inside of, to um, invent, to imagine, to simply heal, to have space. And so I'm wanting more people to see slowing down and resting as the antidote, you know, always the antidote, but deeply now, even the antidote to what has happened to these, our, our pandemic bodies, our pandemic brains. And we all globally are collectively going through this immense anxiety and trauma and grief. We've lost so many people. When you think about the number of people who've died from COVID, it's unimaginable that there are people walking around holding all of that. Like I've lost my dad, I've lost my mom, my sister passed or this. And they, they have all these, this loss around them and they're still just walking outside, putting on a mask maybe, and then just going, you know, just hoping for the best. And so I don't know what will become of us. And I want, I want rest to continue to, to be a guidepost. I know for sure that um, resting can save us. And I know for sure that I, I'm trusting on rest and I'm trusting on my body over anything. I, won't, I, I don't trust any of the systems to in any way care for me. And I'm leaning on community care and rest and our own inventive power, the subversive power that I've learned from my ancestors on how to be in a world, but not be of it. You know, we're in this world, but we don't have to be of it and be a part of it. We can find these like small ways to resist and be maroons and be outlaws against it.
really hear the call to trust spirit and to trust our bodies. Mm -hmm. I think the compounding lies that we have been told, are being told, will be told is outrageous and Mm -hmm. it's exhausting in and of itself. Like there's the exhaustion of the work, but then there's the exhaustion of navigating the lies of our culture, not trusting our leaders, not trusting global systems, not trusting that we'll be cared for, like you said. So that is a, a psychological exhaustion on top of the physical exhaustion. And then when do we have the space within that to have grace for ourselves, for each other, to take care of ourselves, for our community, to mm-hmm. um, actually cook a meal? Like, mm-hmm. what are we left with when mm-hmm. we are just, uh, I mean, so it is a violent attack. And I think with the pandemic, um, it's really it feels wise in this moment to pause and say, you know what, actually the last three years have been really challenging psychologically for us. This anxiety and the stress of the beginning when we didn't know what was happening to the lockdowns, to this, to the fear. I mean, there was so much. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now airplanes don't you don't need to wear a mask. It's like, what? What has happened here? Like, I know. And I mean, that in and of itself, where there was so much pressure and anxiety and information and who do you trust and who this, and then all of a sudden, it's as if it didn't happen, but it is happening. And and this is the same with climate change. It's like, there's Mm -hmm. this big thing and it's going to get us all in the apocalypse. But you know what? Keep doing what you're doing and go to Mexico. And and it's like, what are we? Yeah, just do whatever. Buy more Amazon. It's okay, but the world is burning, but keep buying, but keep, and it's, it's like, what, how are we not, how can we be clear when we are, I know the messaging from every angle is literally, of course, we're numb. Of course, mm-hmm. we're in this place where we're crawling mm-hmm. in confusion. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to like, take a moment and um, have compassion for all of us and be like, yeah, mm-hmm. It is so confusing. It is so hard. It is so, it is not easy. This is not going to be easy work. This is dark work. Like people, they they come on and say, oh, the nap ministry, that sounds so cute. And the nap bishop and this, oh, yellow. And like this is some, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like pillows Uh and blankets and cloud. Like this is some real deep, dark work. Okay. This is some, some deep, dark realizations. This is some underground dystopian nightmare ideas around like what is really happening to us and what I will say to that is what I do is I lean on the past I lean on my ancestors like I talk about that in the book so much I lean on on the ideas of what they were doing and how they were able to be a in the system but not of it how they were able to still find joy and pleasure and have family and still come up with inventive plans to escape i uplift harriet tubman and underground railroad i uplift people jumping off slave ships and hiding out in caves the maroons of north america i really uplift the ways in which resistance and refusal was like not there was no I I might do it or I might do it it's like it was freedom or death it was life or death for them to be able to make in these choices and how within those choices they continue to um float on this spaceship of uncertainty that they created I think about my grandmother Aura 
leaving the deep part of the South because she had saw a lynching and she was like, I don't, you know, like millions of other people in the Great Migration, they left and they just floated on these little spaceships of hope that they created with like a $20 in their pocket and a little note on how to get there. And they just really trusted spirit and the guidance of spirit. I think about Harriet Tubman not ever getting caught when she was on Underground Railroad, how she was actually stopping to pray at certain points to be like, where does she go? How she was reading the sky, how she was a, a master um, a astronomer and, and, and could read animals and could read the earth and how she was a nature woman and was able to use the earth and use the stars and listen to bird sounds and use the plants to be able to find this medicine and this tapping in. So when I say tapping in, that's what I'm thinking about. Like she's literally on the run, running for her life with a bounty on her head and she's stopping to pray and to get plants and to listen to the owl sounds. She know where to go and to stop and get a word from her ancestors and pausing and prayer is a form of rest. And so she was waking up from prophetic dreams saying my people are free and just like prophesizing about their freedom. And so this is what I hold to. And this is why history and the archives are so important for this work and are so important for any future that we're trying to like build out. If we don't go back and listen and tap in and get those inventive ideas and expand on them, we won't make it. And, and, and so they have been my guides. They have been what have kept me going when I'm looking around and being like, oh, wow, things are on fire. And, but I talk about that in the book. I say, you know, let's, let's torch it then, you know, like let's get off. If grind culture is what's killing us, then let's get together with some matches and let's torch the grind, you know, let's torch it so that we all can burn it down and begin to build something new. And so I'm not hopeless because I've done, because I'm a historian and because I'm a researcher and because I am connected deeply to my ancestors, what they were doing is brilliant, is inventive. And they were doing it with so much less. They were doing it without a smartphone. They were doing it without uh, ID. They were, you know, they didn't even have ID. They weren't even, they weren't, they weren't, weren't even, they didn't have even autonomy over their own bodies. They were quote unquote owned by someone else. They were not letting that idea hold them. They were remixing and being subversive and understanding that there are ways to resist, that there are ways to connect and they did it no matter what. And so a lot of people don't know the, the history. You know, this culture does a really great job of uh, erasing history, of keeping us from it, of taking it away. We think about all of the drama and people trying to keep history out of schools and and so I uplift in the book that this work all started with these fragmented parts of my history and that you can go back into your history and that you can read the history of where we're from and you can look to the past and look to the present to be able to build this new future. But I um, love this quote, Nikki Giovanni said, she said it, um, in a, she was at a speech, I believe at the University of Chicago years and years ago, I read this speech and she said, um, if my ancestors can believe, then I know I can. And I just sit with that. I'm like, if my ancestors can believe, then who am I not to believe in this moment that I can be free and that my body belongs to me and that liberation is possible. And so it's going to be a deep, deep individual work, but also collective work, but it's going to be work that people are going to have to take on 
and grab hold to and slowly begin to do the un unraveling and um, healing work. This work is an invitation to heal. There's a quote from an interview you did with Patrice Coolers, and it's Q&A, Nat Ministries, Trissa Hersey talks rest and racial justice for PRISM. Mm -hmm. And you say, I want to go slow with it and be very realistic that this is going to be a slow, deep unlearning. I'm very easy with people and tell them, be easy on yourselves. I know you feel guilty. I know you feel shame. I know you grinded last night because you have to get some extra money at work to live in a capitalist system, in a white supremacist system. I understand there are the limits and the boundaries. So that's why I ask people to begin to tap into their imagination. Rest is imagination work. It's about reclaiming and reimagining what you can be. It's about tapping into your senses in a way that this world hasn't allowed you to. You're going to have to be flexible you're going to have to be subversive. And I am thinking about how when we, when we hear your work and these quotes and we're reading your book and, you know, some of us are going to be drawn to it and we're going to feel and sense the truth in this. And of course, <laughs> there's this probably for some of us, this urgent desire to figure it out and to be good at mm -hmm. it and to, to be healed and to be able to move on. I don't know to what, I'm not sure what we're moving on to, but I'm sure that there's that, <laughs> that th thing in our mind that thinks, okay, we right. can do this. Um, right. And so I, I just want to talk about how we cannot, nor should we try to be perfect in our resistance. And I realize also that perfection and purity are romanticized in a culture that values output over the reality of people's lives. So what might we learn by embracing the mess and imperfection that comes with leaving behind the ways we have been brainwashed into mindless productivity and on and on? Yeah, that's a great question. Oh my, I love, it. I mean, it really is like where our healing lies is where all of the energy for any type of justice work is going to lie it's going to lie in the acceptance in the messy in the experimentation i open up the book saying you know this is this work is the output this is the imagination and the um dreams of an exhausted and curious black woman so i'm extremely curious I'm extremely um, open to the idea of experimentation, to um, invention, to like being able to use this beautiful body and brain and wholeness that I have to be able to say, hmm, what if, you know, it, it kind of asks this question, what do you believe? So I'm always pushing myself and thinking about the idea of what if, you know, what could this be? And I don't, and I think that really, Ayanna, when I think about it, it's because I'm an artist, you know, I think my being an artist and having an art practice since I was probably, you know, 15, 16 years old, being a poet, a theater maker, um, installation artist, a writer, um, a person who really loves experimentation, performance art, you know, ritual maker, to be and also I think it also goes back to the idea of how I was raised you know I was raised in the black church in a Pentecostal black church in a place where 
I watch people literally chant and pray themselves free. I watch people, you know, catch the Holy Ghost and fall out and wake up from it and look totally different and be healed from drug addiction and be healed from all these things. Like I understood and saw the, what embodiment could do. Like I'm not afraid of embodiment. I'm not afraid of leaping. I'm not afraid of experimentation. That comes to me easy to watch my ancestors and parents take something from nothing and make it something and be able to like heal themselves and stay alive. And my grandmother being a refugee from Jim Crow terrorism and my dad, you know, working all these jobs and still being able to be an organizer and activist and seeing how community care and embodiment literally can save us. And so I know for a lot of people, they may not come from that origin story. Maybe they're not an artist, but for everyone, everyone comes to this world with an imagination. Like our imagination, as Bell Hooks has said so brilliantly, is one of the greatest tools of those who are oppressed. It is, she said, the greatest tool of that our imagination. Um, Octavia Butler speaks in these ways as well as talking about the idea of what imagination and how we can hope and how we can be and how we can be a part of the solution because there's millions and millions of infinite ideas that are out there waiting for us. And so I love that question and I love the idea of people understanding that this is about experimentation. And when I say that to people, they look at me kind of like, what? And I talk about the idea of imagination, how I see it being robbed from people younger and younger. Like when you think about young people and children, when I used to be a teacher working with young people, I mean, I'm talking about 11 to 18, you know, and they 11, 12 year olds who are still, who, who their imagination has been robbed. Like their whole idea of imagining something different has been robbed by the poverty of their communities, by the prison industrial complex by capitalism, by violence in their communities. Like they literally have been robbed of this idea of imagination. And so I think about how resting is imagination work. That it is this idea of daydreaming and, and imagining a new way and how we won't be able to get there from an exhausted mind. So if we want to have imagination, if we want to tap into the infinite ideas that our imagination is waiting to give us, it won't come from an exhausted body and mind. Like it just isn't possible um, from a biological standard, from a, a spiritual place. You know, we are killing ourselves um, when it comes to our exhaustion and our sleep deprivation and our exploitation from, um, from work or abuse. And so I say to people that daydreaming, having space to just be, staring at a tree, imagining. And so I teach people how to daydream. Like I um, have these collective daydreaming activations that we, we host and we're going to be having them at the Rest Temple here in Atlanta pretty regularly where we bring people together and teach them how to reclaim their imagination and teach them how to collectively daydream, how to daydream with each other, how to let your mind wonder, how to experiment. And so this work is really about repairs, trying to get people to tap into the things that are already within them that have been stolen from us by these systems. Our dream space has been stolen. Our time has been stolen. Our ability to just be has been stolen. Our idea of leisure has been stolen from us. The idea of having a hobby has been stolen from us. Everything has been monetized by capitalism. Everything goes back to making a dollar. Um, and so this work um, wants for people to 
tap into this idea of imagination. So there's a whole um, section in the book that's called Imagine. And it just speaks about deeply about the ideas of what imagination is and my inspirations for imagination and how this work resides in the spirit of that. And so I really want people to begin to slowly um, see that their exhaustion will not give them nothing but more exhaustion, that it won't be generative, that it's not going to allow us to come into these new ideas. And that it doesn't take a lot. You know, this is the hopeful part of this all. 10 minutes a day, you know, 30 minutes a day, like my grandmother was sitting on her couch, um, resting her eyes, daydreaming for 10 minutes, staring, sky gazing for an hour in the morning, while you're at work, you know, breathing and listening to your breath, like, we'll have to be very pervasive and inventive and um, subversive to be able to try to snatch rest and to curate rest in a system like this. No one's going to give it to us. And so, we have to trust in our imagination and trust in our bodies to show us the way. And um, I believe that our bodies and um, our ancestors and spirit is waiting for us to slow down, waiting for us to lay down, waiting for us to give us self, ourselves the gift of, of, of space and silence and rest so that it can offer to us the way forward so that it can download and give us the ideas that are necessary um, for our um, liberation. And so if we can slow down enough to be able to hear it, I think that um, our work will be much um, more easier. It'll be um, more connected and it'll be more uplifting. It won't be coming from a place of, of pure exhaustion and burnout because nothing can come from that, but just more of the same. completely agree. And I think uh, it's really important to differentiate imagination from a place of the programmed capitalist burnout mind versus imagination from a rested place grounded in spiritual practice and liberation. I think they're very different. And I think back to conversations I've had with Adrienne Marie Brown about the imagination battle and how we're living in somebody else's effed up imagination. And I really see that with so much of, I'll just say the environmental movement or the climate movement, for instance, I feel like folks are moving so fast and imagining, I guess they think it's progress Mm -hmm. um, in this way that is frightening because they're selling it to us as a escape out of the depths of despair or they're selling yeah. it to us as the solutions. And I see it more and more and more, especially over the t- past 10 years, the ramp up of the technological imagination that will save us, right. which is very different than a grounded practice Mm -hmm. with spirit to rest and imagine a way out of Mm -hmm. the mind that keeps creating and selling and 
honestly extracting. And I think that's really left out of the conversation when we're thinking about these savior to imagine solutions. It's the extraction is uh, really out of control. Like I just, you know, briefly want to talk about the imagined technotopian world of green energy, for instance, uh, in Alaska, they are literally trying to open up the entire land base to mineral extraction to, quote, save us from climate change and fossil fuels, which if we were rested and we were slower and we could be like, wait a minute, actually, let's take a moment and think, huh, do mm-hmm. we want to burn more fossil fuels to extract more minerals to right. then create new infrastructure and new systems to keep what going? Like, what are right. we doing? What What are we trying to continue? And does that have anything to do with our liberation? Or is this yeah. just a new form of these labor wars? Like, it, it doesn't quite make sense. But if we're too numb and too distracted yeah. and exhausted, we are literally going to, we are in the Along midst of it. being yeah. duped in a whole other way. Whole and that frightens me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and, it, and it kind of enrages me, which is another topic you brought up in your book is rage. So maybe we could riff off that a little yes. bit. But yes. like that it. rage that I'm feeling even saying this of like, what are we doing? We need to slow down and we need to shift our value system because we're about to go into a whole other level of dystopian. I mean, we're in it. We're, we're not about to like, we're, we're right here. here. Um, and, and it's, and the last thing I'll say about that, the insanity of us grinding so hard (laughs) to extract more, to buy more, just to throw it away almost immediately. Yes, I'm like, what are we doing, people? It's maddening. maddening. It's so maddening. Yes. It's so maddening that I sometimes, most of the time, can't make sense of it or make my way out of it. Like, I don't even know where to begin sometimes. And I just feel like it literally, if I, it's a spiritual battle. Like, I, I have to take it like back, like as my father taught me as a Black preacher a uh, black liberation theologian that we have to understand that um everything is is, is happening is is spiritual you know that we are spiritual beings and i think we forget that that we're existing in this on this earth in this planet on this planet in this dimension and we're forgetting that we are actually existing as spiritual beings and that all of this goes back to spirit i think about the civil rights movement and how if you spoke with any of them, Martin Luther King and any of his um, colleagues, they would always call what they were doing um, spiritual work. They always knew that, you know, human rights work and civil rights work and justice work is spiritual work. And I don't hear people talking about that enough. They talk about it from this shallow layer of thinking policy can change things. Of, and, but that's the white, you know, supremacy of it all, because indigenous people know that this is spirit, you know, people who are in tune with the earth understand that this is all a spiritual battle. And so a lot of times I call technology and social media demonic. I just name it as demonic the same way I name white supremacy as a demonic force. And I, I don't think a lot of people want to get into it and go deep into that. And I think that's what my the- theology and my theologian um mind and interest are coming in where I understand that we are battling against you know spirit there's a spiritual war happening that we're going to have to tap into that and that's why resting being a spiritual practice opens up itself for 
us to lay ourselves, our weary bodies down into this spiritual um, place for us to gain some type of care and soothing and some calm and a balm, you know, for us to go in and, and receive these, um, these spiritual powers that are waiting for us, that resting is waiting for us to lay our bodies down and 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 um and and be and just stop and make sense. And when you talked about us just keep going and going, and we're being duped, it's like yeah, we're being duped because we won't stop enough to be like, wait a minute, no one's stopping anyone. It's like all these people acting out of exhaustion, out of violence, out of the um lens and the ideology of white supremacy and capitalism, and no one's stopping and being like, hey wait a minute, what's up with that? And so I think people feel numb to speaking. I think people have no bandwidth. You know, I think that we are so exhausted on every level, physically, mentally, spiritually, that we are so hemmed up. I was just reading an article that um, 70% of Americans right now are looking for second and third jobs to be able to try to deal with the recession. And I'm like, what? Like, in this exhausted state that we're in with the pandemic, all, that many people are working, looking for even more work, even more labor, even more time on the clock to just be able to eat. And so when I think about the rage, the rage I feel about what the systems are doing to us, what they have done to us in our bodies, that they continue to push us. to the, We don't have the energy to let alone be working one job right now, not people to be able to live in their homes, afford rent, eat feed their families. They literally have to work three jobs, look for more work, always be going. And so every people's entire life is being surrounded by labor and doing and there. And so that's not being human. That's not, that's not a human being. That's not meant. Humans aren't meant to function like that. You know, we aren't meant to be working like a machine. And so all I can say is that I hope I have deep hope for what the divine can offer. I have deep hope for um, spirit and I have deep understanding that um, what we uh, what we think we see and what we think is happening, there's always something behind it. There's always something working behind the scenes and that um, resting can help to amplify the spirit for us. You know, it can help to bring that spirit um, louder and closer so that we're able to grab on and hold on. And so I always tell people we won't make it without rest. We won't make it without um, connecting to this as a spiritual practice, as a political practice, as a social justice ideal, as a public health practice. I mean, it lands in so many different ways that it's so important that we begin to expand our minds and that we begin to just surrender to rest, you know, surrender to the idea that we aren't going to be able to do everything. And so I talk about that in my book, like, how I got to this was literally, I was dying. I literally used rest to save my life. I'm not being, you know, this is, I'm literally was feeling like I was dying, you know? And so rest became something that allowed me to save my life. And I focused solely on it. And I just had to have a, a faith walk. I had to leap without a net and, and to say, I don't know what it's going to be, you know, but it can't be this. Similar to my grandmother who left the deep part of Mississippi to go to Chicago during the great migration, running from um, racial terror there. And she didn't know what it would be when she landed in Chicago. She just knew it ain't gonna be this. And so this idea of hoping for the future, of leaping, of imagining, of 
trying to make space um, to just be, to allow yourself to tap in, to slow down. And so I um, am really hopeful about the idea of what we what could happen for us when we are able to slow down and we're gonna have to do it we're gonna have to snatch it no one is gonna do it for us that's another um thing we're gonna have to process and and really sit with that everything in collaboration in this culture is for us not to rest and so this is an outlier movement it's a movement of experimentation and investigation it's a slow movement it's a political refusal in a sense, the rage you're speaking about is respectful. It's yes. really acknowledging what people are going through and the oppression and the yeah the hate that that the system must have for people. Because yes. what's really outrageous is that there is so much money in the world. We see the folks on the mega yachts which are literally mean nothing to them like these mega yachts and all the this luxury is so meaningless and yet Mm -hmm. there's other people who can't even feed their families without going into massive exhaustion and it it doesn't again it's like who are we working for and there's enough money to go around there's enough money to pay people to rest, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's there's, like, there's abundance, that, like this scarcity model that we're living yeah. under. There's so much abundance. There's enough. Mm-hmm. The earth can provide enough food and water and care and mm-hmm. and lovers and, um, yes. you know, money and ideas for all of us. But because mm-hmm. we have been trained in this scarcity model that because this whole entire culture has been built on a model of scarcity, um, that makes people um, so deeply brainwashed to the fact that there is an abundance available to us. And so it's so correct when you think about the money, when I think about the idea that there's trillions of dollars, like what is it, what does even trillions of dollars look like? You know, when I think about the trillions and billionaires, it's like, really? Like, this is what we're doing? Like, what is that necessary? Why do you need to have more? Why do you need a, another dollar? Why couldn't some of that money go, like you said, pay people to rest? give reparations, you know, um, use the money so that climate change isn't being, isn't happening at such a rapid rate that we could be doing so much. But that's when I start to bring up the demonic nature of it all and the spiritual aspects that we are fighting against and that we are um, within. And and, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. would call it a spiritual deficiency. He always called, told the culture when he talked about what was happening with racial, um, terror in the culture that he said it's happening because there's a spiritual deficiency upon us that people are suffering deeply from a spiritual deficiency he he always wrote about this in his sermons if people read his sermons he's, he was always giving sermons and using the word of spiritual deficiency and I always said with that word like oh like that's so deep the idea of a deficiency of spirit and I feel like that he was saying that back in like the 50s and, and now people are we're here now and we're, we're deeper into, we have more things that are driving us deeper, the technology. Like I really believe that technology and social media is really driving us deeper and deeper into um, deep, deep spiritual deficiency, deep, deep disconnection, deep exhaustion. Um, really, it is, it's a disease. It's an addiction and obsession that if I talk about in my book, I, we don't begin to examine it 
deeply, I'm not sure what's going to happen. You know, I'm not sure collectively what will happen. And so I'm always offering to people to do these detoxes offline, to just put your phone down, to um, go back to the ancient and vintage ways of connecting with people, to like turn off that antenna and turn on your own internal spiritual antenna to be able to listen and hear. And so when I go on these 30 day Sabbaths and I'm like off the phones, off technology, off emails, I literally feel like a new person. I feel like I'm like buzzing on another um, level of um, connection. So much comes to me. My sleep is so good. I wake up, I was handwriting 18 pages of like notes around like ideas and poetry and journaling. And it feels like an antenna is turned on and I'm able to hear what really the earth wants to tell me, what spirit wants to offer, what what my body wants to say. And so until we can begin to turn off some of the noise and and deaden the noise and um, have more silence and have more spaces to rest, um, and we do that intentionally and with care, and we do that collectively and we do that meticulously, that we actually make space for, that we just say no, you're going to have to say no, and it's going to, might not be easy. You're going to have to heal from the idea of, of, of bound, not having healthy boundaries of, of, of people pleasing. You're going to have to like really begin to hold yourself in such a graceful and merciful way to understand that you will have to say no, because the systems will continue to say yes. They'll continue to put push. They'll continue to put things on your calendar. They'll continue to say, can you work 10 more hours? Can you get four more jobs? You know, I remember it was at a time when my dad was working three jobs, you know, and I'm just like, how is a person able to manage three jobs? You know, how is that literally all you do is get up, work and go to bed. There's no living in between. And so we aren't living. We're like the walking dead. And I want to bring us back to life and bring us back to humanness. And that is through rest. I believe rest will simply make us more human. I just really want people to understand this offering in long form is deep mm. and it's something that you can spend time with and get off the yeah. screen with and be with and pray with and meditate with and pause with and go back yeah. to and you can share it with your community and and so I, I really just want to um, bring it full circle to the beginning of our conversation yeah. that we now have a place where we can be slower with you. And I'm really mm -hmm. grateful for that because I think that, you know, social media is definitely in many ways evil, but there's times where you can go on social media and see work from folks like you and be inspired and it's like that yeah. little spark you you know it's, yes. it's it's a spark and then you take that spark and you get off the screen and, and you go, you go yes. and you study oh. and you sit and you rest with and so yes. this is an opportunity for folks to do that and I'm really uh, mm -hmm. grateful for you for taking all the time and the attention that it must have been mm -hmm. for you to create a book and also share it with us so yeah, Trisha, thank you. Labor of love. Yeah. yeah, it's been a labor of love. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want this to feel like a lullaby. Read it to yourselves and to each other. So one of the reviewers called it a lullaby of liberation. They said it felt like a lullaby of liberation. So this is a, a, a invitation to just to slow it down. And I ask all book groups who use it 
to make space during your book meetings for resting, for naps even, for meditation, to don't rush through this book, to come back to it, to underline in it, to highlight, you know, to offer up passages that feel like a meditative moment. And so I'm so grateful for the long form and for this opportunity for people to have it in their hands. Thank you for listening to For the Wild podcast. The music you heard today was by Real J. Wallace and Fabian Almasan Trio. For the Wild is created by Ayana Young, Erica Ekram, Francesca Glasswell, and Julia Jackson. As a reminder, an extended, edited version of this episode is available to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash forthewild.